check, check, check. Level, level, level. Test, test, test. Here we go. Testing, testing. Here we go. Recording during our lunch break. Live from the Mundangerous Artifactory in New York City, I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 357 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're kicking off our homebrew series with a primer on magic items. But first, the party enters enemy territory in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, Lady Death kills fascists, not men, in the character creation forge. I think it's time to celebrate surviving to another year. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Unless, of course, you didn't celebrate New Year's, in which case, we never wished you a happy New Year. Don't even worry about it. it all it means is, uh, for whatever job, dear listener, you are currently at, now your LinkedIn can say, through 2024. No matter what. True. Uh, the inevitable eventual... when you leave in Q1. <laughs> the, the inevitable eventual epitaph of the show will say, at least through 2024 that's all that matters <laughs> that's right we did it we arrived here we are in 2024 uh the good news we survived another year the bad news it's an election oh, please yep, yep, was just getting there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't want this nobody wants this <laughs> oh but vote but two <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> hold your nose and vote all right, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game set in Emeron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign, and high in the mountains. The party is trying to stop the quarry from finding the Gatekeeper's seals and unleashing the Chaos of Zoriad onto the material plane. The Gates of Wind and Earth are now protected from quarry influence but the party must still locate and inoculate the gates of fire and water before the Dreaming Dark corrupts them. They are still at a loss to identify the whereabouts of the Gate of Water, so they ask Primus to blindly teleport them to where they believe they can find the Gate of Fire. Once more, they momentarily feel like they're being torn asunder before snapping back into place. Though Switch's Paladin Aura protects them from the worst effects of the spell. The sudden heat is oppressive, and the still dry air sucks the moisture from their flesh. Cracked stone forms high canyon walls around them. Winding paths form a maze in every direction. But they are found, not lost. A howling in the distance grows louder, and the clatter of hooves echoes through the ravines. A pack of barbed devils burst into view, screeching and charging when they spot the party. From a nearby cleft, humans clad in filthy rags and furs and brandishing rusted weapons rush at them joining the devils in their assault. To their surprise, this is not the pitched battle they are expecting. Switch's smites make short work of the devils, banishing their essence back to Kyber. And though the barbarians fight with reckless abandon, they display more zeal than skill. They die with fervor, almost eagerness, and soon the stone halls are silent once more. Orden takes note of the sky and determines they must be far north of their previous location. Though the time of day is the same, they have arrived in the demon wastes. A hiss catches them off guard. Around a bend peeks a young human face covered in grime. Quickly, come with me. The Kortisha will want to meet you, he says in halting common. Without waiting for a reply, he disappears. Intrigued, the party follows him through the maze. The boy can't be much older than 15, 
but he moves utterly silently with the practice gait of an accomplished scout. Thanks to his signaled warnings, the party avoids multiple confrontations with packs of Hezru and a wandering Glabrazu. After what feels like many hours on a forced march, they stumble into a wide camp. Humans, orcs, and half-orcs make their homes here, though everyone seems battle-hardened and battle-ready. An orc woman in well-tended but piecemeal metal armor greets their scout. After a whispered debrief, she approaches. Batul says you fight well. The Gashkala always welcomes another sword arm in the labyrinth. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week we are kicking off uh, another series, new series. Is it? We well, we haven't done a homebrew series before, so I think uh, this is what this is what I envision is that this time we'll talk about magic items. Next time I don't know, we'll talk about a uh, pantheon or you know other stuff that people homebrew. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the stuff I don't actually <laughs> you know the, name the drop two things that people later in the episode. the two things that people homebrew pantheons and magic items. Right. You know, no one ever homebrews <laughs> monsters, or classes, or monsters <laughs> or. Uh, uh, traps or spells, none of that stuff. Don't even worry about it. No, no one actually homebrews traps. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, no, people homebrew them. No one has ever actually used one. Used them, yeah. No, even the people who homebrew them don't use them. And that's right. actually kind of something to keep in mind with this series and like the the direction that we're coming from, right? We're talking about home games first, not necessarily game design that, you know, you're not necessarily designing things to be shared with the wider community, although you may, right? The advice is still applicable. But the premise of this series is that you are homebrewing for your game and your party and your table. Uh, and that means that like magic items, making new magic items is actually a little a little bit different, right? Like so unlike creating a a religious pantheon or a political system, the magic items in your game only matter at all if players choose to engage with them, right? Like I can make a pantheon and that's backstory and it can be touched upon or not, but it still influences the game. But a particular magic item, if no one wields it, it may as well have not existed. I may as well have not created it, right? It needs to be used. Ah, uh, yes. Like a secret door. Uh, all doors are secret. Chain every door. Uh, Schrodinger's doors. Uh, you step into the tavern. Are there exits? Probably. Mm-hmm. There definitely are. Unless mm-hmm. you need one in that direction, in which case there definitely isn't. Right. How many? Ooh, that's a, that's a skill check. The most dramatic number. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is either so, one or none. Or all doors. It's all doors. <laughs> oh, it's- it's a patio. You're in a patio. Don't worry it's about it. It's just windows. Yeah. Shattered glass. That's how you get out of here. Uh, so that means that one of the most important things about a magic item, and look, we will get to mechanics later, okay? But one of the most important things is that they have appeal. What is the selling point for a player, for a character, about this particular magic item? Why do they want to use it? Uh, typically... Big numbers, obviously big numbers. <laughs> Typically, yeah, the answer is either numbers or name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say that is probably where you want to spend a good 30% of your homebrew time is getting the name right because ultimately players are going to, uh, they're going to end up 
dealing with the numbers more often, but the reason they're willing to do that is because something about the item itself, either where they got it, how they acquired it, or literally what it's called, is going to make it important to them. Much more than uh, anything that you write mechanically uh, when homebrewing the item. Uh, look, names are easy. It's sick adjective, equipment name, of dope noun, done. Yeah, exactly. Of proper <laughs> noun. <laughs> and we need a gerund. <laughs> of, of concurrently fire? What? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a beheading uh, sword. <laughs> it's a vorpaling sword. Or a firing sword. It's a sword of firing. <laughs> it just throws out pig slips. All right, so you can probably gather, right? Customize any magic item that you are making from whole cloth to your party. And what this means is you're actually saving yourself a little bit of work. You don't need to do what poor Larian Studios had to do. You don't need to seed the entire world with magic items for every possible character and every possible build, right? If you don't have, you know, a monk or a doctor in the party, then... You don't need items specifically tailored for those people. So think about these questions when you are deciding what kind of magic item to give a particular PC in your game. What is it that they like? And by they, I mean, what is the character like? What is the player like? In terms of like which of those cool things that draw people in do they like? Do they like big numbers? Do they like feeling really effective? Do they like it looking super cool and now their hero forge mini changes uh that's absolutely a valid reason to pick up a magic weapon and it is something that you should absolutely cater to if that's something that the player wants yep you also want to look at their build right so when you are fitting this item into their character mechanically uh is it complementary to their build is it uh, helping them do something they want to do anyway? Is it giving them a new path forward or a new option that they have otherwise expressed a desire or a, a frustration with? Yeah, is their build terrible? If it is, maybe you need to shore it up. <laughs> you know, one thing, one thing, look, not to belabor Baldur's Gate, but uh, one thing that I believe they did when designing magic items is they took terrible magic items and then just sort of souped them up a little, tweaked them up, right? So like there's a really good trident in the game that one of my characters has now, but tridents are terrible. They're awful. I would never wield a trident, but they really like packed on abilities to this thing. So great. I'm using a trident. Relevant to you because you care about big number, um, but it might not be relevant to everybody, right? And that's, I think it's important to look at goals uh in that regard because you know for example in the in the morning glory 2 um zan used glaives he only used glaives his build was i mean sure could work with any polearm but like if it wasn't a glaive he wasn't going to use it so if you offered him a great wonderful great sword or an awesome uh pike well that's just getting crunched. <laughs> like that's going to be sold for parts mm -hmm. because to buy a better glaive. Zan uses glaives, right? Yeah. Um, and and that's important to note. Like you're not going to be, you're not going to change a player's build. Uh, in most cases, 
if they've already become attached to some of those choices. So you have to understand what is their goal when you offer them a homebrew item. Right. And the character's goal, right, which often aligns, right, Zan, the the character uses glaives and Brian, the player, only was interested in glaives, right? In swords on sticks, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, what is the character's goal? You know, like characters, maybe even more than players get super attached to a particular style, right? Like I am a swordsman, right? I don't, I don't use hammers. Maybe they're equally as effective in the mechanics of the game that I don't have, you know, insight into as a character in a game, but I don't, I don't use hammers, right? I'm not a blacksmith. I use swords or, you know, my build is, is focused on dual wielding rapiers. If you offer me a dagger, I'm going to be cranky about it, even if it's a great dagger. Yeah, if they're dual-wielding rapiers, you should probably give them really good rapiers. <laughs> uh, and then, is the item supposed to be useful now, useful later, or useful throughout the entire game? And, and, and how are their goals, how does the player and the character's goals match up with that? Will it change in the future? Is there a, an arc planned? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, we touched on this already, what is lacking, both uh, for the character or the the build or like what is the player missing out on that they've either complained at the table or you know, jokingly complained about or you know maybe don't even know that they're missing out on because they don't know it's an option they're lacking trinkets with exciting names of dubious value that will definitely not be MacGuffins later I do not, why do you I ask? do not disagree in any way like trinket MacGuffins that's, that's what I want that's all I want as long as they're not right. consumables Right. Non-consumable, <laughs> non-attuning trinkets. So the answers to all of these questions um, are going to determine the form of the magic item that you create, its abilities, and its purpose. So the form is what kind of item is it? Is it a, a wondrous item? Is it a sword? Is it an, an axe? Is it feathers? Is it goggles? Whatever, right? What does it look like? Uh, you know, is it dark and shadowy and wispy? Is it, you know, is it epaulets? It's if it's 40k it's envelopes mm-hmm. right i mean if it's if it's granting you command of course or it goes bland uh, the abilities are what what does it do right in the game what does it do mechanically what does it do and what is the outcome for the pc how does it change things for the pc when they are using this magic item and then the purpose, what role does it play in the story? Either in the campaign, if it's like a MacGuffin, or if it you know, has a wider impact in the game world, or if it doesn't, right? It could, it could only be important to one particular character, but it might be very important to that character, right? What role does it play in an individual PC's story, right? Like your ancestral weapon matters the most to the character that wields it and probably almost nothing to everybody else, but that's fine. Right. But that's also important when you talk about goals, right? For, for the item, like if its role is deeply important and personal, if it's an heirloom weapon or, uh, you know, a helm of command or, you know, like a, a family signet ring, um, that is basically non-negotiable for that character. Well, it eventually becomes a, uh, like a hindrance that they're attached to this item, even if it has outlived its usefulness, right? So it's important that you build that into the item so that it it never feels like a burden. Yeah, that's one of the important things I, I think to remember here and, and also to like 
look into the future, like what what does the mid game, the end game look like for a character, right? Like, will this still be useful? And are you going to make this so cool and so useful and so like deep in the lore that they will refuse to give it up? Um, maybe. And in that case, then that's a problem that you need to overcome probably by adding more abilities. Right. Yeah. Suddenly the weapon grows with you. Right. You unlock it. Right. Or like, hey, I, we're going to take the gem out of that ring. We're going to put it into a, a bigger ring. Uh, into an amulet. Right. Yeah. With like four <laughs> other gemstones. Cool. Cool. Okay. Right. <laughs> or like your, you know, your signature bolter. Uh, the Jacaro needs to tinker with it a, a bit. Just. <laughs> Just give it to the monkey and wait. Some some integrated upgrades. Don't even worry about them. (laughs) It's runes. It's runes. All right. So let's talk about actually building uh, these items. First consideration is the power level. Where in the arc of the campaign, where on the slope of increased ability are these characters and where do you want this? Like, how long do you want this item to be useful? Right? Like, it's actually perfectly fine to give them an item that is much more powerful than their power level would indicate, right? Than their, like, for example, level would indicate. That's fine, you know, give, give everyone something, and now you're playing kind of a high level game, you know? But if the point is that these are important items, these are artifacts of legend or whatever, and somehow they've, like, the premise of the game is that they've come into these for some reason and now they need to figure out how to you know use them and unlock their abilities and whatever that's fine because that is the plan yeah i know know how strong these things need to be i think this is probably the part that trips people up the most right especially uh like younger gms run into this problem of either they don't know what to do for power level and so they make a mistake in what they intended or more often they don't really know how to balance power level and achieve the target and typically that's because they didn't want to make it super powerful and they accidentally did (laughs) and that's how rpg horror stories happen (laughs) yeah um and and like look a a lot of this comes with system mastery and experience but Look, like you and I have been at this for many years and I absolutely still like I tend to underpower magic items. I even think back, you know, I mean this is 10 years ago at this point, but like the the morning glory magic items, like the individualized magic items I made for, you know, your your party. Mm-hmm. Um you gave yours away, so you never used it. I gave mine which, away so fast. That uh-huh, should have right. been a real indictment of power level. <laughs> no, it, it, mm, it was, it was, it was, it was a good item. It just couldn't live up to robe of robes of the arch magi, which yeah. like what can, and also like there was just no way that you were going to give me an item that was going to be more appealing than the most tricked wizarding stuff. Right. For a dragon right, sorcerer. Right. Like it just wasn't right. going to happen. So whereas like you compare to um, a cloak that I gave Angelo's character. And when I look back on it, it's it's probably undertuned, underpowered. Um, and then I look at probably the only magic item of all of those that any of you actually remember 10 years on is 
the great sword that Jim got. Yes. And it has absolutely nothing to do with its abilities. I don't think Jim remembers its abilities. He just knows it was his character's dead wife's sword. Uh, and it kept hitting the only ability it has oh, and it, was, yeah, to, right. was to and deal it did, him psychic damage. Him, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it kept hurting him. He, Until he, he, he couldn't Right. He did he couldn't live up to uh, her legacy. So, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, the the story reason is the only <laughs> the only reason that any of those are remembered. Right. That in the metagame of I gave it away. But you you touched on uh you know, kind of what was more important in a lot of ways than power level. Uh, for even those like artifacts, which is the lore of the items, right? Mm-hmm. Like it didn't matter if a Holy Avenger is the best sword in the game or just another great sword for Jim, the, the reason it exists, the fact that it was his dead wife's paladin sword is the reason that sword was important, right? Like that was going to be important anyway. So all the lore associated yeah, it could have had no it, abilities and he still would have used it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's, that's what's important. And I think that's true of like Bahar's cloak. Um, it, it's certainly true in the inverse of Heartspark, uh, which is the, <laughs> the belt that you gave me, which is just like, yeah, I've been lusting after this power for a long time and you gave me a path to power. You did not give me an item of any interest to me. <laughs> so I'll take the power, please. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, and, and, and like robes of the arch magi were a thing that you had had your eye on. Like in hindsight, I can see a thing that you as a, you know, primary spellcaster had had your eye on for multiple levels. Like why would you divert into something that's like relatively useful for a spellcaster and not the best item for a spellcaster? <laughs> Even if it's not the best item, it's the item I want, you know? Like Right. Yeah, yeah. It's Again. the it's the it's the crowning entrap or the 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 crowning trappings of you know, being a supreme spellcaster, right? Like, look, you're a sorcerer. You're not an arch magi, but you have the robes, so you're an arch magi. So I'm an, exactly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I think, look, like I said, you're going to get the power level wrong. You just are, you know, especially when you're doing multiple magic items for multiple people, all of whom are changing their minds all the time, because that's how, like, that's how RPGs work. That's fine because, and we'll talk more about this later, but like, it's a conversation at the table. Right. You can undertune things and be like, hey, above the table, I think this should be more powerful. Or you can be like, hey, random NPC fixes your gear and unlocks its true potential, blah, 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 you know? Mm -hmm. And then it'll, you know, end up being fine. You just can keep doing that. Yep. Um, When you are writing lore for an item, because you should, you should write lore, right? Even if it's just like a sentence that tells you something about this thing, right? Um, consider why does this item exist in game? And it, it might be right. An ancestral weapon. It could be, it only exists because of this character, but probably it wasn't created specifically for this character and existed before. So why? You also want to look at who used it or owned it previously. And if there's any like history, uh, or deeds that this item is associated with, if possible, like it's great to have the lore, put that stuff in the name. Right. Like, (laughs) like, and and I use this example from League of Legends because it is just a great name, but the blade of the ruined king, like you don't know what kind of sword it is. You don't know who the ruined king is. You don't know anything about this thing, but you know, it has a backstory and it sounds important. (laughs) Right. It's the blade. Right. right, It is not. Oh, 
a right. ruined king blade. No, no, no. no, no. It's the blade. <laughs> it probably has a real name, but it has a legendary name, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, that's the kind of stuff that you really want to like lean on to incorporate into the name of these things. Yeah, um, I think a counterpoint here is Tolkien had the Barrow White blades that were given to the hobbits, and like later that comes to fulfill the prophecy about like killing the witch king, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know. You don't know what I'm talking about. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, no, 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 it's fine. Those... It's definitely a thing that I read. <laughs> uh, Tom Bombadil uh-huh. gave them those blades, so I know you know that part. Is that true? Yeah, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. was that before or after he started singing? Uh, definitely after. Oh, he definitely okay. sang before that. Uh-huh. Definitely rid of that part. <laughs> but the lore of those blades and why they worked as well as they did is only revealed to you, the reader, right? It doesn't come up in the story, like to the characters. Don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) The the lore also needs to be relevant, at least to someone. (laughs) Right. Um, And like there, there isn't, there isn't an audience for these things that isn't the players, right? right? The players are the audience. So the characters should find out these things and know these things. But that's, I think like, you know, we, we also asked the question, like what doors does this, um, does this item open? Like that's a great entry point into the item, right? When you carry uh, a Barrow white blade or the blade of the ruined King into, um, you know, a, a, a place of sufficient, understanding right uh mm-hmm, right like you attract attention right like people know that or people at least whisper about it right like somebody is going to share that lore with you and because you have that treat you differently and now you have tied the the backstory of the item to the current story of the item and also gotten to read your lore <laughs> to the players uh, in a way that mattered and and engaged them rather than just being a paragraph on a page right gotten them to read your lore exactly you know? uh and this is this is classic right this is excalibur like no one cares who arthur is arthur is nobody right until the sword right right and then because he carries the sword now everyone knows Oh, you're the king. Right. Okay, that's who you are, right? And then eventually, eventually, right, Arthur has his own legend that isn't necessarily tied to Excalibur, right? Like, he has a famous blade, but he is a king in his own right, blah, 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 you know? You, like, make additional legends. But from from the jump, a lot of these things, like, they can give you access to the story, they can give you allies, and all this simply because, well, there has to be a reason that you have this thing, right? Aragorn has the shards of Narsil, and who else would carry around a broken sword for 2,000 years? Yeah, can't believe that we're uh, we haven't even mentioned the dark saber yet. Speaking of homebrew political <laughs> right. systems, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, who are you? Hold on, let me just flick this yeah, switch. Just one, one okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Well, oh, enough said. King, got it. <laughs> <laughs> I challenge you, but don't drop it in the water. I don't know. Things are confusing. Yeah. <laughs> That is a hundred and fifty credit fix for it to work underwater. Okay, I don't, I don't know what people are doing. It's ridiculous. Okay, so uh, let's talk about. Let's continue talking about building. It is important that a magic item also be effective, right? Evocative, yes, but it needs to be effective. It needs to be useful. You need to actually want to use it. 
And there are multiple ways to do this. The most obvious and the most common probably is it gives the player a bonus at doing something. The safest way I think probably to do this is to improve their success rate. This is giving a bonus to hit, uh, increasing the dice pool that they roll, uh, increasing the DC of their abilities, giving them you know better AC, making them harder to hit, things like that. Yeah, giving re-rolls or selectability, that sort of stuff. Right. Now, in this instance, usually small bonuses matter a lot. And that's because these are tasks that are happening all the time, constantly. The player is making them all the time. Like a, a 5% additional chance to hit matters because it does not take many sessions before I make 20 swings. So it's essentially effectively useful with every test. But maybe more importantly than that, these bonuses stay within the bounds of the system, right? It shifts the needle to a player getting closer to what we might call a quote unquote perfect session, right? Like if I, if every time I swing my sword, I hit, that's a perfect game. Great. But pretty much every decently designed game can handle that, can accommodate that storytelling. Like you are expected to hit or, you know, I have a really great, you know, defense bonus and I just never get hit all session. Okay, that's fine. Someone else will get hit, you know, but it doesn't break the math. There's this tricky bit of, of the math as well, where you get into this sort of like, uh, <laughs> realistic outcome piece, right? Where like a plus two bonus to your best ability that you do all the time, like that might be a 10% improvement, right? But in effect, you never fail anyway. So mm -hmm. you that could be a plus 10. It's still like you're only going to fail on the random like crit failure chance, right? Um, or likewise, like a plus one bonus to, you know, an ability that you're bad at, your dump stat or your, you know, your, you know, your heavy armor and your acrobatics or whatever, right? The thing that you're never going to succeed at any meaningful challenge anyway, like, yeah, plus one is effectively nothing right that you might as well not give the bonus now plus 10 or plus five like then this becomes a viable ability to use right so you have you do have to understand sort of like not just the dice curve but also like where the target numbers are landing within that dice curve and i think that's the tricky thing that people get messed up on when they're trying to balance these things yeah and this is where you put yourself in the shoes of the player Right, because you're you, you're customizing this for them. You know, mm -hmm. you have a target player in mind, a target build and character in mind. Does this matter to them? Are they ever going to use this ability? And if not, then like it's just kind of chaff. Right. Another thing you can do is increased effect. The these are abilities that shift the outcome beyond what the game expects. Right. So that's something as simple as additional damage. Right. There's a an expected damage output for characters and the game like if we just take 5e D, D, the game expects that you will hit when you attack but it doesn't expect that every attack does an additional 50 damage right you know <laughs> so every every little bit moves you outside of the expected curve right and this is also abilities that like improve your results by one step pathfinder has a lot of these um, or access to a higher level ability long before you would normally be able to do it right first level fireball yep yeah, uh, improving results by one step is also uh, 
a great one for like powered by the apocalypse stuff, right? You go from a um, partial success to a success, a success to a critical success, that sort of and thing. And it's extremely powerful in like, you know, Forged in the Dark, yeah. right? Like, I mean, in one step, it means that you can't fail. Right, right. Well, sometimes it's one step except failure. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't critically fail. <laughs> In small doses, these kinds of increased effectabilities are probably perfectly fine. It's it's when you start stacking them together, because they, they often have like no upper limit, right? Like, oh, I have one ability that gives me improved by one step, and another ability that gives me plus one step, and now suddenly, like, I, I can only critically succeed. Right. You know, or a plus four damage, and a plus six damage, and a plus eight damage, and a plus ten damage really, really add up, and now it literally doesn't matter if I'm using a trident it's fine because like all of my damage comes from the bonuses right or like you know plus uh plus i don't know 6d8 damage on one attack per day doesn't sound like a bad you know that doesn't sound like a huge deal until you can apply it only on the crit that you have that day <laughs> right and now yeah, it's items, actually I'm waiting. doubled right and and so when you combine it with other abilities or other things on your sheet it gets outsized value mm -hmm. so these kinds of abilities are unpredictable they can quickly outpace the game mechanics so i would say in general use them sparingly for dramatic effect it's very cool that the sword is does extra fire damage right and that shouldn't show up too much or or i guess it depends on the game right like pathfinder 2e has runes and they pile on all the additional damage so like that's actually kind of expected and probably doesn't throw off the math too much whereas you know there are a lot of other games where it would and so like you know break out the flaming sword when it's cool rarely right or you know make the uh make the trigger for that effect limited but impactful Right. So I'm thinking of like the uh, the item like if you're if your campaign is centered around, you know, killing a dragon that's terrorizing the, the countryside. Well, then a dragon's main weapon that uh, makes that dragon possible to kill, <laughs> even though that is an outsized effect against, you know, hordes of dragons. The fact that you're only fighting one of them and this is now like. Uh, 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 the, the chance for you to make this item shine like okay well that's fine right or you know place one arrow of dragon slaying somewhere in the game and see how quickly the party tries to strategize about how best to use it yeah how best to get an extra 2d6 damage well, okay, not that arrow of dragon yeah. slay. <laughs> right. But like a like good arrow of dragon a home slay. Brew, right, a homebrew arrow of dragon slay. <laughs> All right, another another thing you can do is expand abilities or, or offer expanded abilities. Um pretty common ones are the ability to deny consequences. Um you know, a magic item that lets you say, "No, I don't get hit," right? Or "No, I don't fail that I reroll." Or uh roll but choose right uh that's what one of my favorites for uh for 40k when you roll perils of the warp roll twice and choose the outcome yeah. <laughs> choose least bad right <laughs> also you have abilities that let you move beyond the scope of of your traditional role so this is great if you have limited players and you find yourself you know uh nobody picked the cleric so we have a lack of healing um 
you know, adding healing abilities to everybody's stuff so that everybody can part-time cleric um, gives them a lot of value without necessarily like grossly impacting the game. Uh, and then you can also give them additional abilities that function as a solution for an individual PC's common problem. What is the common problem? The table will tell you. <laughs> the problem is I'm a sniper. I'm 500 meters away. I never miss. I only get one shot per fight, and I stand around doing nothing the rest of the time. Please solve that with an item. Why don't I solve that with uh, enemies coming up on your flank? <laughs> no, solve it with a great How about I solve that with knife. cavalry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the traditional enemy of snipers. <laughs> uh, and then utility. Uh, is another uh, kind of ability that you can put on uh, magic items. These expand the options that a character has, but don't necessarily increase their power. This could be additional uses of abilities you already have. So uh, a cleric gains a new use of channel divinity, for example, or an alternate use of spell slots um, for, uh, for casters, right? Uh, it could also be an additional use of channel divinity or an additional spell slot uh, for a caster. Yeah, I, I always like, for almost all of my characters, I like to be able to pick locks. I like to be pretty decent at it. Like, you know, I am not usually playing a character focused on that, but almost every character, whether they're, you know, they could be spellcaster, marshal, whatever. I like to, I take a, I take thieves tools, right? Or whatever variation that is like, and I will look for additional items that will help me do that because I like to feel self-reliant in that way. I'm never going to be as good at it as someone spec'd for it. Right. But I don't need to be. I just right. want to know that I can succeed if I need to. This is, this is why I always have persuasion, right? It's like, you're right. <laughs> I might not be the talking face character, but if I'm going to talk to somebody, if I'm going to spend my time role-playing, well, damn it, I want the outcome to be what I'm, I'm aiming for. <laughs> I want at least even odds, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good call out, uh, especially for those kinds of things where, you know, you might not have an out-and-out -out specialist in the party, right? You might not have the driver. You might not have the hacker. You might not have the lock picker uh, or the trap layer or whatever. Like, it's nice to have somebody who's, you know, above baseline effectiveness, uh, even if you're not going to just invest in it, right? It's a nice little perk to add on to, you know, your magic multi-tool or whatever. The next thing to consider when you're building this item is the resource expenditure. So how often can the item be used? Is it always on constantly every time that they make a particular test? Is it once per day? Is it once per century is like literally it's once per campaign they're going to be able to use this thing but man they better get bang for their buck uh oh a wish spell <laughs> <laughs> right once per campaign you say <laughs> with my luck uh, uh speaking of which what does it cost as in what what is the gold cost to obtain it right like what is but also what is the what is the the like reputation cost to obtain it what is the small fragment of your soul you have to put in it in order to power it yeah yeah what what is the sacrifice that you need to make what is the quest you had to go on in order to get it and not just get it but keep it keep it away from people keep it safe make sure that you've got it in your hands make sure i'm not disarmed all the time what is the cost to use it and what is the cost if you lose it high it should all be high 
in most games and for most items, uh, equipping tends to be an opportunity cost, right? So what are you giving up um, either in potential or in actual item that you are in order to be able to use this thing? So, you know, obviously if you are getting your ancestral sword, it means you cannot use your existing Warhammer. If you are getting, uh, you know, a, a new spaceship, well, you can't pilot two ships at once. So you're probably giving up the old one. Hostile Negotiator 2, welcome to the party. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where System Mastery helps. It's important to know whether you're playing the variant where you can have one ring on each hand or one ring on each finger. Because that determines whether it, there is even an opportunity cost to putting on another ring. Right. Um, one thing that's very common in Pathfinder 2nd Edition is pretty much baseline. Every character who can wear them wears Boots of Bounding plus five to your movement speed, just because movement speed is, is very important. It's relatively low cost. So if you happen to be handing out a pair of boots at the low to mid levels, you have to weigh the advantages of the boots that you're writing into them with plus five movement speed. Actually, you might just want to throw on plus five movement right. speed just so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's actually what that means is good luck getting boots on unless they're plus five movement speed. I'm not <laughs> redoing plus this 10. math. Oh, no, now everyone's fighting. No, it doesn't too matter much. who they were made that. for. That doesn't help. <laughs> now I'm overshooting. Uh, and then consider what kind of build support is going to be necessary or does someone already have, right? Are they specced around this kind of item already or is it so good that they will respec in order to use this item, both the player and the character? So let's talk a bit about where we can get some inspiration for homebrew magic items. Oh, you steal it from existing items. The oldest trick in the book. Literally mm -hmm. take it from the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you take uh, one low-level item and another low-level item, and you put those abilities on one item, and now it's a mid-range item. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> if you can't decide between a plus-two sword and a flaming sword, congratulations, it's a plus-two flaming sword. You've just made your player happy. With a sick name and a dope backstory. Right. Done. Um, you can do things like adjust prerequisites. Uh, there are entire class abilities built around being able to use something that wasn't made for you. Well, make it for them. Like my, uh, in our Dark Sun game, my like um, end game gear as a druid was uh, a staff of power. Right, it was all, all druids can't stuff use because there's no right, wizards. Right. It was like, <laughs> oh, I just want this, but it's for. A druid. That's it. That's the only change I want. Right. Oh, and also I would like awaken. So you know what? Switch out fireball. I don't care. Take out fireball. Take out the fifth level fireball and give me awaken. Done. I, I didn't need I'm, I'm it. it. They put a soul knife right in the DMG. That's right. It's, it's right there. Just literally write my name on it. Uh, and then we talked about this a little already. Take the terrible items that already sound cool or that people fell into as a trap because they got duped into thinking it would be good and make them good. Just make them not suck. And then give them a cool name. 
You can also take from existing abilities that are already part of the game, right? This is um, whether it's, you know, take a feat, take a, an ability from another class or another role or another playbook and give it to a player via an item. I, I think another way that this works really nicely is like if you face an enemy um, and you are taking one of their items or or some type of trophy from that uh, victory, perhaps give the players one of the abilities that that enemy used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, steal them from adversaries. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, obviously, look, make sure that you're not stepping on the toes of other players. But again, the benefit of doing this all custom is that you know what everyone is capable of doing. Right. So don't give anybody else those abilities. Take take the thing, like if you had someone at, like in session zero, like really wringing their hands about like, oh, I don't know if I go with this or go with this. These two options, they both really appeal to me. Well, maybe do a little mix and match for them. So one of my favorite uh, enemies to to take inspiration from is Beholders. Because they have right. so many abilities. <laughs> All the abilities. And it yeah. doesn't matter what your role is. One of those can be like translated to be useful, right? So like everybody thinks of like, you know, disintegration ray, right? And like, of course, like their disintegration eye stock is a nightmare and it's the stuff of legends and nobody, uh, everybody would be happy to have that. But like, if you're a monk, what do you get out of this? Well, I bet... If you had some modification or some trophy taken from the par- or the uh, the petrification piece, maybe you turn your hands to stone. <laughs> and now the beholder is granting you better unarmed combat by physically improving your arms. Right? Yeah. Like, or my or my stunning fist doesn't stun, it stones. I have stoning fists. Right, exactly. Like you can now do things like that and because Beholders have so many tools in their tool belt. You can literally give a different, uh, a, a different thematic, uh, like trophy item from a beholder to every member of the party, and they all get something cool out of it. Because the flip side is, you could just reverse any of their things too, and all of a sudden now you're the healing version or the the positive version, not just the attack version. Right. Wow. This beholder skin belt. Gives me the ability to reproduce asexually via dreaming. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I've made it too powerful. (laughs) I'm thinking uh, a way to reconstitute things destroyed by disintegrate. But sure, let's go with that. (laughs) Uh, You can uh, give items abilities uh, that have come up in game because your party continues to have recurrent problems. If no one has decided to take these tools, um, you probably have had issues with locked doors and locked chests at some point. So maybe throw knock on a, on an item. Right. Uh, and then of course, you know, after a couple of drinks or the pizza gets there and you're just spitballing while people are doing bathroom breaks or whatever, someone has said, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, would, would, would be really great. Ha ha. I make a joke. That's an item. What if it wasn't a joke? <laughs> I mean, make it make it playable, but that's an item. 
Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and it's your item. <laughs> right. Wouldn't it be cool if I could actually cast spells while raging? Hmm. Huh. I guess that would be cool, huh? This is not the only way uh, to homebrew magic items. Like, is not to go home, uh, write things down feverishly on a piece of paper, and come back and present it to your players like the, you know, Moses with tablets. Like, you can use other approaches to get homebrew magic items into the game. Yeah, hopefully it's not Moses with tablets because it'll just ignore you. <laughs> is, is that? Hmm. I I wrote hmm. it down. You're not. You, it's like it's like you're doing the opposite. What? What? That's not how you use this item. Uh, it's all right. Just make like nine more. Ridiculous. I'm gonna melt Nazi faces. How about that? That's what this does. <laughs> so so you can have your you can really um, involve your players and just have them build their own magic items a la carte, like have them pick the abilities. Um, Angela did this in our Dark Sun game where at the end it was like, hey, you have access to the, what was it, the Well of Creation, um, which is super powerful and you can make whatever you want in the book, so do it. And, you know, if you want to tweak some stuff, let me know and we'll talk about it. Well, nothing I homebrew is going to be more exciting than the Rakdos right knife. <laughs> well why are you laughing I'm just I'm just because it's crazy <laughs> why are you i'm taking your salt step, step, step. <laughs> uh we have mentioned this uh in the past and we, we alluded to it a little bit earlier but legacy items are another great way so it, instead of worrying about balancing uh, an item for today but also for tomorrow like just modify the item over time, right? Unlock new abilities. You don't need to specify them all up front. You can let the item evolve as the game evolves and continue to provide useful but thematic abilities. Right. Uh, build a magic item the way I, you know, picked college classes, which Wing is it. what seems interesting right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, then, and then later, what seems interesting right now. <laughs> And then is later, there a theme? What Doesn't do I matter. have left to leave? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, Calc 1, huh? <laughs> How late is it to change majors? <laughs> no, Calc 1 was easy. Calc 2 was a mistake. <laughs> I guess I did the same thing in high school and I ended up taking art senior year. Mm. Art 1. Well, it was an easy A. I didn't get an A, but it would have been, been an easy A for, for someone who had applied <laughs> themselves had to I, art. <laughs> had I not been a senior. <laughs> uh, you can also do the feedback loop, which is, hey, whatever way you use to magic make a magic item, great. Solicit the feedback. See what works in game. See what's powerful or not powerful enough. And tweak from there. Edit either above the table or have a mechanic in game. An NPC, you know, obviously they have an armorer friend. Great, you solved it. You know, there's an artificer in the party. Great, you solved it. Well, I, I mean, I think that's fine. I think, like, I think it's great if you can find an in game like justification for the change, but I do think that needs to be an above table conversation, right? Of like, before it happens, yeah. Hey, these are homebrew. Um, they are subject to change if like if we start to feel like they're not really working or it's not really doing something that you like or or we feel like an item is a problem like let's just talk about it we might have to tune things a bit it's okay 
Um, and then if, yeah, if you have an in-game justification for it, then great. Like the blacksmith has provided a new tool for you uh, and has changed your sword. But what happened happened. Or, you know, we do some retconning. Yeah, no, my sword has always been like this. What are you talking about? I, you know, went to sleep and asexually created no, a new sword. <laughs> I love this belt. Ah, get me out of here. Do you hear that? <laughs> do you really want to know what I hear? <laughs> no. Uh, move on to the character creation forge. Hopefully it didn't come from your dreams. But before we do that, Let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sense Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. So this week in the Forge, I am back on my historical figure's horse, and we are creating Lady Death, uh, who is not a comic book character. Uh, she is, in fact, or was, in fact, Lyudmila Pavlichenko, a Ukrainian sniper from World War II who fought for the Soviets against the Nazis. Uh, 309 confirmed kills, which easily puts her in the top five snipers of all time, although she's likely higher because a confirmed kill is a kill that was witnessed by a third party. Uh-huh. Uh, which, you know, you, you may rightly assume is sometimes difficult. <laughs> yes, especially when they're <laughs> happening 800 meters away across a uh, snow-ridden, smoky battlefield. Okay, you're not wrong at all here. She was also a counter-sniper. Once, she laid motionless for three days without food or water to take out an enemy sniper. And her first her first two kills uh, were two enemies at a quarter mile. Uh, which, of course, as you know, you shoot the first guy, the other one runs. So, well, you know, I mean, boom, boom. N- not in most video games. You shoot the first guy, the second <laughs> one goes, hey, <laughs> what, what happened? And then you shoot that guy. <laughs> So that's just basic Nazi logic, not even an AI glitch. Right. Just, just chilling. Right. Oh, huh. More food for me. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose <laughs> if she was at Stalingrad. <laughs> All right. What is the build? It is Twilight Cleric 1, Gloomstalker Ranger 5, Assassin Rogue 14. So variant human, uh, you could do folk hero background. That would be great. You could do soldier, obviously. I like haunted one, not the one from the video game, the one from Curse of Strahd, which has the feature Heart of Darkness. Those who look into your eyes can see that you have faced unimaginable horror and that you are no stranger to the darkness. Though they may fear you, commoners will extend you every courtesy and do their utmost to help you. Unless you have shown yourself to be a danger to them, they will even take up arms to fight alongside you should you find yourself facing an enemy alone. Of course, you're always facing enemy alone. This is a sniper build. <laughs> right. Uh, and your feet, you're getting sharpshooter. Early on, you don't need to take the penalty for an additional plus 10 damage. Sharpshooter is much more powerful when you have multiple attacks to throw that plus 10 on, but it means you can fire your longbow at long range with no penalty, which is 600 feet, uh, which is more than you need to do, but also nowhere near the 1,300 feet of those first two quarter-mile kills, <laughs> yeah, which good. is just not something you can do in in D&D with a weapon. Well, I mean, for good reason. 
and also um, you can avoid uh, all but total cover. So you don't have to engage with the cover rules, which no one is going to anyway. Right. All right, we kick it off with two levels of ranger. Uh, we're going to take the optional uh, canny, and that'll give you expertise in your choice of perception or stealth. It's okay, you'll pick up the other one later. Favorite enemy? Humans. The worst things on Earth. And your fighting style, obviously, is archery. Now, just like uh, Harriet Tubman, when she tried to enlist in the army, she was told to go be a nurse, even though she had multiple uh, shooting medals to her name already. And she'd already killed uh, two men at more than a quarter yeah. mile. <laughs> <laughs> Look, by she, all accounts, she, she did was, that for fun. She was not... <laughs> just... By all accounts, she was not a bad nurse. So, hey, one level of cleric gets you 300 feet of dark dark vision, which can be shared, even though you don't need to share it with anyone because you're probably alone. Heavy armor, advantage on initiative checks, and then spells like bless or cure wounds um, to uh, patch yourself up uh, when you are alone in the field. Then five levels of ranger. We go to five to get extra attack. Snipers don't necessarily need extra attack, but I think... Like a, a two-person kill indicates that you probably have extra attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially uh, in, uh, in D&D bow and arrow terms. Yeah, right. Uh, you get wisdom to initiative, which means you're always going first with your other initiative bonuses. Disguise self um, says that you can look like whatever you want. I choose camouflage. I choose I, pile I choose of rubble. <laughs> yeah, literally. Uh, you get an additional attack in the first round. And here's... Here's, you are invisible. Gloomstalker makes you invisible to dark vision. You are invisible to creatures using dark vision. That means that at night, you don't need to use hide actions to gain advantage. You're just invisible. So even if they know your location, one, they have disadvantage to attack you, which is good because if you're against another sniper, you know, one hit, you might die. Um, you just always, you're just always fighting at advantage if you're in the dark. And your feet, Skulker, uh, level four, means that uh, you do not reveal your position if you miss uh, with an attack uh, while attacking from hidden. Uh, also, you can ignore perception penalties for dim light, which is also very useful because that gives you disadvantage on attacks. Very nice. You'll get level two spells as well. The big one here is going to be Pass Without Trace, which is another plus 10 to stealth because what's the whole point? Find a position nobody sees you, you see everybody, hit him in the head, and they die. And how do you do that? Sharpshooter and 14 levels of rogue for plus 76 sneak attack and assassinate. Right. Uh, you'll also get what looks like four ASIs. Uh, yes, so pump your decks. I think, you know, going without food or water for three days is probably a con save. Maybe it's a survival check. Take whatever resilient is is relevant there, and if you've got an odd dexterity score, take Piercer for just a little bit of extra damage. So before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our awards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to support the show and to help other people find us. If you do, we'll read it on the air. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are continuing our rundown of the 5th edition classes, and we have our Barbarian tier list. And in the Character Creation Forge? 
We're building the Runesguard Berserker. Well, that's it for episode 357 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. We didn't even make a Magnum joke. Cold open. <laughs>